Welcome in to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer. I'm returned from my quarantine. And I'm joined by Michael Brunks, who looks disappointed that I have returned, and Brian Christopherson, who seems disinterested in either way. Well, Gentlemen, how are you? Br- Brunts was bringing the heat a little bit on making sure you were all the way back, though. He wanted yeah. to be sure of that. It's, it's like he doesn't believe that I just have a cold. Well, we're a little skeptical. Notice <laughs> how far uh, we're sitting away. Yeah, well. I haven't touched anything since I've been here. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. I wiped everything down with disinfectant. I big soapy brush. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll go get the uh, the bottle of the wipes for you if you want. Would you say we're at least six feet from him? Pretty close. Yeah, it's only a six foot cord. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, well, hopefully you survived to to see another day because of this common cold that I had. We'll we'll know in seven days. Well, we're we're already past the seven day mark of the original infection, so still alive. Things are great. I didn't go backwards; I went forwards. Nice. All right. Well, let's talk football, shall we? Is that is that enough banter on on coronavirus? <laughs> That's as much as you should get out of it. Yeah, I, I can't <clears throat> joke about it. It's serious stuff. Yeah. Yes. All right. Nebraska football had their opening season press conference. Scott Frost met with the media for the first time since December. We talked to assistant coaches for the first time since November. We talked to players for the first time since November. What? Uh, let's start with the players first. What? What if any takeaways did you have from some of those guys? We had Cam Taylor, Britt, Brandon Hymas, Matt Farniak, Colin Miller. Um, who else did we have up there? Uh, let's see. Boodle. Wandale Robinson. Boodle Robinson. Uh, looking ready to lead. No um, Diedrich Mills, right? No, there's no, uh, Diedrich Mills. No, no Adrian. Adrian Martinez. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, what, what stood, stood out to me was sort of the tone of, I didn't feel like there was this big, like, rah-rah, like, you know, we're going for the West division or something that you sometimes get in an opening press conference. I know it's just a spring, but sometimes someone will say, yeah, we're going for it all and all this stuff. And it felt like it was very much shop talk. The whole thing to me, it was sort of uh, muted a little bit, you know, Cam Taylor Britt's shirt is, was, I guess the thing with the humble over hype, trying to set this tone that it's just about going to work and kind of, you know, being in the lab. And, uh, Honestly, that's kind of how the whole exchange between both players and the coaches I talked to went. I didn't. It was a lot of like detailed, kind of in the weed stuff and conversations I was surrounded by. I don't know what you guys were hearing. Yeah, it was. I mean, everybody kind of knows. I think what the storylines are. I mean, it's you had an open quarterback competition. Air quotes around open. Um, they want Matt Farniak at guard. He's working at guard a little bit. They don't have a lot of wide receivers. I mean, it it it, it wasn't ho hum, but I mean, it was. Uh, it it felt like an appropriate spring press conference. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, it did. It wasn't over overkill by anybody, or that's that's what I'm kind of was getting at. I, I I thought it was just a good, you know, here here's the basic stuff, and uh, let's let's put the ball out there and go. What uh, what did you guys make of Scott Frost's comments about? wanting to kind of rein it in because last year he felt like he got beat up a little bit over the we had a really good practice today he's been on message boards yeah it seems i mean that's that was the joke last year right that you know anytime they had a good practice um he said that and 
took some heat for it whenever they went out and lost on Saturday. Best so, Monday practice ever. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, a, a certain self-awareness, I think, that's kind of heading into year three that uh, he, he was a little bit more low-key, like you said, didn't really you know, pump up too many guys. You could tell that when he got asked individual questions about or questions about individual guys that he really wasn't wanting to go there. And, I mean, I, I think it's kind of the continuation of uh, an off season where the staff kind of laid low. You didn't have a ton of media availability. You only did a couple appearances on Sports Nightly. Didn't have a press conference in February. Uh, it really has been pretty sparse in terms of, uh, you know, what's going on over there. And I think that's that's by design. Yeah. This, I mean, the stuff that stuck out to me was – well, one, uh, his very strong belief that Matt Lubick is going to help everything organiza- organization-wise in a big way. And uh, without mentioning the name Troy Walters at all, it was clear that he believes they're going to take a major step in just their details and, and everything with the process of wide receiver play and also, I think, game day management when we get to that point. That remains to be seen. Uh, people want to see that proven, uh, but that that very much came out in his comments. And then I thought it was just kind of nuts and bolts stuff that was popping up, like Jordan Riley was a guy in the 2020 class you didn't hear as much about sometimes. Came or he, in late. He wasn't really in yep. Super 6 list and all that stuff. And uh, some peers kind of name-dropped him. Some of the players did. Colin Miller brought him up as a guy who uh, he's – fast for a big boy he said and eats up space well and i think they like his attitude so it was interesting to hear his name because they need a guy like him to be an immediate help uh chaven wright was you know when you would hear about the 2020 dbs we often talk about like miles farmer pola gates quentin Quentin newsom chaven wright was kind of the one you never brought up and he's taking some reps at outside linebacker Um, which I, and I know you guys, I think feel the same way. It seems like that's where this ship is headed. Um, he's at two Oh five. Now he probably would have to get to two thirty or two twenty five. you know, around there, um, to get started at outside backer. Uh, but he has a frame where it's always been known he can do that. So it's just a point of deciding where are we going with him? Where's the debt? Where is he needed? Which I think is outside backer when it's all said and done and let's, get Zach Duvall uh, working him toward that direction. Yeah, I um, I had come across a photo of Javen Wright, and he was noticeably bigger. And so I, I had heard that the outside linebacker thing was likely to happen. I'm going to be very intrigued to see how that development goes. Uh, amongst the, the players in general, I mean, Jordan Riley is someone that I think could be really interesting and that he could end up either as a as a power end that you use against Wisconsin to try to slow down some off-tackle runs. If you have Jakeem Green or Keem Green in the middle there at nose tackle, or you could flip-flop those two. You have Ty Robinson as well. I mean, we'll get into the defense in a little bit, but that defensive line is going to be really interesting. I know Brunts was around. Tony Tuioti, who's in his second year, I'll be curious what he picked up there. But let's stick on the offensive side of the ball. I sat with Mario Verduzco, um, always a confident guy, went through a number of things. We'll start with this. He said that they went through and they watched all of the film multiple times from last year, 
and that the the biggest thing with Adrian is that they're continued to to see some interesting mistakes from him in the sense that his eyes just weren't where they needed to be and that he thinks that stuff is relatively correctable that maybe Adrian was pressing in some moments he didn't give a lot of opportunities for excuses or provide a lot of excuses but he simply said that he didn't protect the ball as much as he needed to and that on film you could see his eyes didn't travel in the play where they had to and so that's going to be a big area of emphasis as it always was going to be but even more so that they have to to kind of clean some of that up. I mean, I, I think there was more turnovers than what he ever wants to see, missed opportunities. But that was kind of the big talk as it surrounded Adrian. From a mental side of things, they're, they're very happy where he's at coming off of last season. He's putting in a lot of the work. He's been very involved in the film work and the strength and the conditioning. So from just the mental aspect of it, the way Verduzco talked about it, Sounds pretty positive for Adrian Martinez, but obviously they want to get into the spring ball and, and see what gains, if any, they can find right away out this spring. Did he get into Adrian in, in this offseason? I mean, I know he was limited by, um, you know, the, the offseason shoulder surgery, but did, did they, the, the photos that they've put out of him, Adrian seems a little lighter, I guess. Did he they didn't, get into that at all? He didn't get into the actual size of him um, in terms of whether he sort of reshaped himself or not. I, I he didn't he didn't really specify on that. I mean, with the the shoulder surgery, it was a non throwing shoulder. They don't anticipate it'll affect him at all this spring, other than if they want to go heavy quarterback run look against the defense at some point. It won't be Adrian that's doing that, and that's almost more for the defenses side of things like it's not necessarily the plays that Nebraska is going to run but it just looks that they want to give the defense so they can continue to work on stuff so that's the only real limitation or hesitation that they have with him at this point but there wasn't a lot of talk of what he is physically because I know that there's some concern that he slowed down last year but I think that has more to do with the toll that he took with the knee injury last year and the leg injuries than it does that he's too built the the conversation that, that Frost had a little bit about um, Luke McCaffrey, the you know basically how they're going to handle um, his situation, going to give him every chance to try to win that job um, in in the spring. Uh, if he doesn't do that, then that's where the conversations start happening about you know is he a wide receiver? How do they go forward with that? Uh, Schaefer just took a step away to I, I assume hack up a lung, but. Um, I'm curious to hear kind of what Verduzco had to say about McCaffrey. But, I mean, that's that's kind of what we expected going into the spring is that, you know, McCaffrey's a quarterback. They're going to give him every opportunity to be a quarterback. But if he's not a quarterback, then they're going to use him somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways you can look at it, I suppose. You could say, well, spring is kind of experimentation time, so that could be a time where you let him dabble at other spots. But I actually think in his situation – it's probably the right format to say, hey, just go compete for now at QB. Don't worry about all this other stuff this spring. He's a good enough athlete. We saw when they plugged him in at wide receiver in a course of like a week of you know prep work, uh, he looked like he could do some things and help you out there. So, I mean, if, if you decide in, on August 10th 
that, okay, you're probably not going to be the starter. We might have some things for you QB-wise. I think there's enough time for him to get uh, kind of meshed into the wide receiver room and idea and what they're doing if that's something they want to do. Yeah, Verduzco talked about it, and he basically made a joke like someone asked what goes through your mind or, or, you know, what goes through your mind when you hear about Luke McCaffrey at another position, and he goes, you mean beyond the steam that comes out of my ears? Yeah. Uh, and he he very much wants McCaffrey to be a quarterback. He understands that it might help the team in the fall, but this spring it's all about McCaffrey as a quarterback. It's all about McCaffrey getting better as a passer. It's all about McCaffrey's gains in the playbook. It's all about McCaffrey's ability to run the offense. And it has nothing to do with what he can do beyond that. And I think that they want to – get as much out of this spring as him as a quarterback because they're and and people have somehow either decided for themselves or not whether they think this is a real competition at quarterback but if Luke McCaffrey goes out and has the best spring and the offense looks the best with him out there I don't know why anyone would assume this staff wouldn't make that switch they started a guy who never played center before last year because they felt like he gave them the best chance by the end of the year I think they would start Luke McCaffrey over Adrian Martinez if they believe that he all around is the best quarterback on the field. I, I really do. I really like Luke like everybody else, but those who have paid attention to what coaches have said know that he's got to take a big leap himself in the, in the passing, passing game. game. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who have jumped from point A to point Z because he like came in and had the one throw against Iowa, which I don't want to downplay. We had a nice throw against Indiana. He played well against Indiana. Yeah. Um, but he comes in, and he it's just sort of magic. You know, you have that one play, and it's like, okay, every time he touches the ball, it feels like – and I, I think he's exciting, but that was a very good play call. Guy was wide open. He made the throw. Credit to him. Um, but, I mean, people remember the spring game last year. I don't remember his exact numbers, but, you know, he was he was a work in progress yeah. there, and I, he still was throughout the fall. That doesn't mean he's not going to figure it out. I think he's going to be a really good player, um, and you got to use him somehow, some way. But don't think that, you know, when people critique Martinez's passing game, which they should, um, you know, McCaffrey's – when he gets out there, if he gets a job and he struggles, he's going to – hear the same noise that Martinez is hearing now yeah absolutely because there's a third quarterback in that room well there's actually four quarterbacks in that room but the third one being uh or the one that people are going to discuss a lot this spring is Logan Smothers heard from Verduzco on Monday that Smothers has absolutely uh attacked and ripped up the playbook knows more uh of what he's doing than what the expectation would have been for him at this point they're excited about the athleticism of Logan Smothers. He's already the fastest quarterback in the room, according to Verduzco. He's a very fluid, smooth athlete, and they think there's a ton of potential with him. And so um, Nebraska gets to the point next year where they can get him in like they wanted to do with Luke McCaffrey. He's going to be an exciting player. And so I, I'll be curious. I think he's a long ways off from really being in the real conversation that to me is basically Vedral, Martinez, and McCaffrey. Uh, but the excitement about Logan Smothers is is very real and I think very valid based on the way that, that Verduzco talked about him yesterday. What's the perception, I guess, on, on your guys' part of the actual openness of this competition? 
I, I mean, as I said, I think if, if Luke McCaffrey were to come in and completely show his ability to run that offense through the passing side of it as well, I think he can win that job because his upside is immense. But I think that Adrian Martinez is a total package of everything they want. Um, and he's going to have the best opportunity to win the job because I, I still think he's the best overall quarterback that they have. Yeah, I think they still believe Adrian Martinez is special and uh, have not uh, de- took taken a detour from that. Um, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think if it's clear that Adrian's really struggling out there and hasn't you know figured some of the things out from last season and Luke finds it, I think they'll very much consider things. You know, you can have a competition and have someone who's the favorite going into it. That's what sports is. Every week we have Vegas lines where somebody's a 14-point favorite or something. Martinez is a favorite because he's been a two-year starter, and he's, you know, he's obviously has the experience, but also the traits that he possesses. Um, and there, that goes at all positions. Like, there's a competition at center. But Cameron Jurgens is a strong favorite going in right now. So I, I think you can have both. They're not exclusive of one another that you can compete. And also, you know, you have a guy who going in, okay, yeah, he's probably the guy to beat. What uh, what was your takeaway from Matt Lubick on He's Monday? very no-nonsense. Um, like, he was very cordial. I don't want it to come off the wrong way. But he is he, – he reminds me very much of – Scott Frost and his personality, and I can see uh, why they they gel together. Um, and I think he, I think the year he took away from the game. I know this has been written about, but I think that was really important for him. I think he was a guy who'd been in coaching for twenty five years. It's wearing you out. You needed to take that step back and see your family and friends, and kind of just recharge, and then be ready to attack again. And that helped him out. Um, and I. I get the sense he's he's not going to be afraid to hold feet to the fire about this is didn't work last year we might have to throw this out because they talked a lot about self scouting and you know um, okay this this is okay but we've got to enhance it here uh, this just isn't working we got to do something else and so I think he's that kind of guy who's not going to be afraid to put his elbows out and say, you know, we got to do something yeah, different. Yeah, Verduzco mentioned that when, when Lubick came up, he basically said that he really appreciated in the self-scouting that he just sort of dove into it and just kind of said, no, this isn't working, this didn't work, why are we doing this, why was this being run? And so he got really involved in it, which Verduzco really appreciated because it's kind of a fresh set of eyes. When you look at their last two seasons on offense, it's been the same group of guys, really the last four. And so um, to come at it with a fresh set of eyes, I think, was was good. And that's kind of what Verduzco was getting at. That was the biggest thing he's noticed so far, beyond what other people have said with the preparation. And this is a guy that, you know, obviously has a good, strong relationship with Scott Frost, but... I think he really appreciated having a, a different voice in the room yeah. that could see something that maybe other guys either weren't or just weren't saying because they had seen it before and their mind had mentally passed it. Yeah, and the good thing about Lubick is he watched this team all of last year. It's not like he was completely disconnected from it because he did have sort of a consultant role. He really downplayed that, though. He said, you know, we we basically, him and Scott Frost, you know, they've always exchanged phone calls during their seasons like, hey, I got this problem, what would you do type of thing. It just happened that last year he was free to watch Nebraska more 
and so he would give some input. But now he's actually, you know, face to face with guys and uh, can actually get it across to to Mario Verduzco and Greg Austin and everybody in that room, Sean Becton. So um, it feels like the staff is really open to him and excited that he's here, like you say. I spent a little time around Greg Austin, um, which was instructive as it always is with him. He's not a guy that, you know, pulls punches or, you know, sugarcoats things, but he's excited about that group because you finally have depth at a lot of those spots. They, they feel like they figured out things with Cam Jurgens and the snap issues being what those were. And, you know, going back to kind of the, the this ties into the self-scouting comp, uh, conversation he was talking that they sat down as a group and went through not only, you know, the result of a play and, and, you know, maybe a guy missing a block or, you know, a guy dropping a ball or something like that, but they went through why a play was called, when it was called, and, and really kind of dove down into things. And he said that this offseason to him felt a lot like their first year at UCF where they really kind of got together and, and asked some tough questions as a staff about why they did what they did and, and what didn't work. And, um, you know, now with his role as, as the run game coordinator, I think he's a guy that is going to have more input uh, into kind of simplifying the offense a little bit. He said, you know, we need to figure out what we do well and just do that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of an elementary thing, but, um, you know, I, I think it's something that would benefit Nebraska certainly with, uh, some young skill players, some unproven guys in, in some of those spots. So uh, kind of took that from him. That that was kind of a, a little bit more on the site, uh, site today or tomorrow about that. But um, I think this offseason was really important for that offensive staff. Lubick spoke glowingly about Greg Austin. You know, he's got that run game coordinator role now. And uh, he said just since he's got here, he's just really impressed the heck out of him with just – you know, the way he communicates and what, what he knows about the game, which doesn't surprise me. I think you mentioned to us, you know, he's he's just a fun guy to talk to. I mean, he really is. Like, he he uh, he gives you a lot of information, and he's, he's not boring about how he gives it to you. And it's, He's got a nice blunt delivery Yeah, for the most everything part. about it is a nice package. There was a – he was talking about Cam Jurgens last year <clears throat> and how things changed for him through the course of the year. Uh, and he said communication was the biggest thing for Jurgens in terms of getting uh, everybody set and, and communicating what was going on on the defensive front. He said the first couple games of the season, the other offensive linemen would come off the off the field and find him on the sidelines. And he said it was like a little therapy session over there because the line wasn't hearing any calls. Jurgens wasn't saying anything. Um, and and he spoke with you know the I think this we still have an okay rating in terms of. Uh, swearing on this podcast, but he got kind of colorful about what some of the linemen were saying about what they could and couldn't hear. So that, that's that's an area where I, I think Cam Jurgens is going to be a lot better this year, and I think the offensive line is going to be a lot better for it because he's uh, more confident. He understands that offense a lot more, and, and he's got a little bit more of a command presence, which is something that they worked really hard with him last year uh, that I, I don't think that he had in those first by three, four games of the season. All right. Well, let's take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll get into the defensive side of the ball and see what they had to say about the upcoming season that Nebraska's uh, defense is going to have to continue to make strides for this team to get to where it wants to go. So all of that and more 
on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right and we are back we spoke about what was going on offensively for nebraska on monday and what the assistant coaches had to say as well as scott frost however on the defensive side of the ball you also have a new assistant coach, but not new in the sense that it's a new name for anybody around here. Mike Dawson joined. Uh, you could hear him from every corner of the room, as you often can, on Monday. And it's a it's an interesting time for that defense because there's – I think a lot of those coaches kind of like the way that their room is situated right now. Uh, you got some interesting young pieces. You got some guys that they need to step up a little bit. Uh, Mike Dawson inherits the room in the most state of flux uh, with the outside linebackers, but speaking just on behalf of sitting around Travis Fisher for half an hour, that's a guy who really likes the way that his room is situated. What did you guys hear from the defensive coaches you talked with? A lot of Mike Dawson. That's what I heard. Yeah, you heard a lot of Mike Dawson. Uh, Whether you were over there or not, you heard Mike Dawson. I'm surprised you could hear Travis Fisher over Mike Dawson. It was low, but I, I, I was hunched in a little bit. I was leaned in, you know. Get like, one of those like old. Get my good ear in there. <laughs> those little like old timey like yeah. ear little tin, megaphone uh, things. Yeah. Um, I, I was around Tony Tuioti a, a little bit. Um, talked a lot about how how do you replace a, a lot of snaps with the Davis twins, Damian Daniels or Darian Daniels. 
Uh, Damian Daniels is one way that they're going to try to do that at, at nose. They, they've got you know, Jordan Riley's name came up a few times on, on uh, Monday, and he's an interesting case. He's up to 330 pounds after arriving on campus right around 300. Uh, he, he's going to get a lot of snaps at nose. And what are you laughing at? Just reminds me of the there was this really weird push for people to make sure that we had the most accurate Jordan oh. Riley weight. Well, uh, it was, li- was a big deal in the media one day for some reason. He was listed all over the place. Yeah. Um, but he's – I think uh, I, I listed him at 310 and was you're, – you're felt like range. I was subtweeted corrected on that. Oh. So that's why I laughed. Gotcha. Yeah, he was – he showed up at three 307, they said. So you might have been over three pounds. Man. Get it right. Facts, please. I guess. <laughs> should be a carnival game guy. Guessing weight. Yeah, you would have – you would have, I went off of whatever his profile was. There would have been no as. free teddy bear for Jordan Riley. Three yeah. tens, close enough. Get out of here. <laughs> um, but they, they like him. They, they like Ty Robinson as kind of a swing guy. He's, he'll play some nose. He'll play a lot of end. Um, you know, one name that came up that didn't forget about him, but we haven't heard a ton about him. Tate Wildeman. Remember, yeah. Yeah. remember him? Um, I do remember you him. Remember him. The uh, son of an Iowa football player yes. committed to Bob Diaco in Nebraska in 2017. The four-star recruit. What else do we need to know? Well, he's he's back on the field. He's now. back. Um, and so there's that. But they 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 feel good about six guys right now. If they had to play, Stilly Robinson, Keem Green is was not in that list by the way. Uh-oh. That, that, uh oh. So uh, so let's see. Threw me off. Stilly <laughs> Robinson. Riley, Daniels, DeAndre Thomas is another one uh, in, in that group. Casey Rogers. Casey Rogers. Yeah. So that leaves guys like Mosai Newsom. Um, Keem Green, I, I think they feel a lot better about where he's at physically. He dropped all the way down to 295 pounds. He's back up in the 300s. Uh, I, I think it's kind of the, the mental side of things right now that he's still kind of catching up with assignments, that kind of thing. Uh they, they would have liked to have gotten him in the game a lot more last year, but it just didn't work out with the way the season kind of unfolded. But he's another guy that's a potential swing guy as an end or a nose tackle uh, and certainly one to watch. But, um, you know, I think Tony Tuioti, even though he, he, they're young in that group, I think he likes what he has from just kind of a molding clay standpoint. There's a lot of names in there. There are. And a lot of guys that are – they're not – slight individuals either like those there's some big dudes that i think you you can uh eat up some space with if you're if you're nebraska's defensive they're getting another one in may and people tend to forget this but feldarius Payne is going to join that group when he gets to campus in may and they liked him a lot last year to take a guy that was a late arriving junior college defensive lineman yeah just wanted to throw that in there. yes also factually accurate so uh, it's interesting that um, it's interesting that Green didn't come up as much with Tuioti because Eric Shenander was talking about him. He, he came a up. little bit. He came up. He just wasn't listed. Maybe it was an oversight on Tony's part, but whenever he wasn't in the six, he wasn't in the the, the initial the six, six that he feels good about. Yeah, Shenander. Uh, I asked him about Keem Green, so it wasn't unsolicited. Ah, uh. but he did say. His quote, it's right in front of me. So far, he seems like he's about a million miles from where he was last year. He was talking a lot about his appearance and just, like, getting in shape. Um, But he's – I mean, they seem like 
they're happy with the progress he's made since last season. And now it's like you get every chance this spring to show you belong on that list, I think. And I, they're, they're going to give him the chance. Eric Chenander, basically, he didn't want to say it because he knew what would happen when he said it. But he said, I really think we're close. Like he said, we're that close on defense to being what we want to be. Um, but he also knows – you know, you say that and people yeah. are going to jump all over it. They um, made improvements last year. Yeah, they, I mean, get, they were better. People don't want to believe that, but it's true. Then there's the question of, okay, you're missing the three guys who are at the combine on the D-line. Is that a concern? What do the coaches think about it? And it, my sense is, without him flat out saying it, is Shenander believes they can be as good, if not better. Um, he didn't flat out say that, but he was kind of – you know, dancing toward that direction. I thought I did a little dance while I said that too, with move my arms a little I bit. I saw that. It I was a, a remark on it, well, but I'm glad you did. Um, other things from Chenander, uh, Dawson, Mike Dawson, when he got here, had a heart to heart with Caleb Tanner. They're going to put a lot into him. They know he's, it's, they're embracing in a way that you got to do it, man. You got to become that game changer player, not just a guy. And then it's interesting to hear a coach like Chenander talk about guys who do their job well that are underappreciated. And he brings up Markel Dismuke um, and DiCaprio Boodle. But he says Dismuke is a guy, yeah, he might miss a tackle on occasion. or you know, It's not like every play is perfect. But if you're just talking about doing what you are supposed to do within the frame of the defense, Markel Dismuke does it pretty well most of the time. So... I know there was a lot said about Miles Farmer. They love Miles Farmer, but Markel Dismuke's not a guy who's just going to go away. No, because this staff likes him. And then there's a a guy on the other end of the spectrum, and they weren't. He wasn't bad mouthing him at all. But JoJo Doman made a lot of tackles. He make he's a kind of a ball hawk. We all know that, and fans and media love JoJo Doman because he just kind of creates stuff. But he does it uh, by improvising a lot and uh, freelancing out there. And it's something that he's going to have to rein in, I think, a little bit his senior year. You could tell Eric Chenander, like, likes things about JoJo and what he does out there. But there's also, because of that freelancing, there's huge plays that have been given up. Uh, one that comes to mind is that uh, touchdown Purdue scored on the last play where he kind of did his own thing and it ended up being a walk-in score. Yeah, that uh, that is definitely interesting because – there's been great Nebraska defenders in the past that have been known for for freelancing a little bit, and there's also been some guys, and one that comes to mind is Damian Stafford, who uh, there's other guys on that secondary that would get very mad because Damian would just go do whatever Damian was going to do. Yeah. It led to, led to a couple long runs in that 2012 Big Ten championship game, depending on who you ask there. So, uh, yeah, they – you definitely have to have guys playing within your system, but if you have players with the innate ability that know where the ball's going to go, like a Levante David, because that was right. a knock on him too. The he that he freelanced a little bit, but he was. I think there's got He was good enough. I think he's talking about a happy medium with JoJo, right? And he he said JoJo's as good as he wants to be, and he but he said he can be a lot better, and I've talked to him about it, and I I think they're they're just saying that you know there's a time and place for. Um, kind of going out on your own. But actually, in a lot of ways, Chenander wants that 
Bill Belichick, just do your job. Yeah. He kept saying that, and that's that's what he's looking for across the board. So talking with Travis Fisher, you mentioned Miles Farmer. Travis Fisher basically said that he thinks Miles Farmer can be one of the best players on the team, um, which was a remark that caught everybody's attention as soon as he said it. And he kind of expanded on it. And it reminded me a lot of the way that he talked about Cam Taylor Britt when he first arrived at Nebraska that fall camp, where he talked about a guy that he could already see was invested in the future of the program, that's invested in the position group, that as a young guy was holding other people accountable, as a young guy was setting an example in terms of going to class and you know getting the, the book work in and, and taking meticulous notes and so I think that when he was describing Miles Farmer as one of the best guys on the team, I think he's describing, one, the potential because he's big and he's fast and they can do a lot with him. But two, just the, the off-the-field stuff, like he's going to be a real leader in that room. And that was that was one of the takeaways I had. We didn't get into it as much because Fisher didn't want to talk about him a ton. His exact quote was, I know Deontay reads the newspaper, so I'm just going to say he's got work to do. But... Fisher made it pretty apparent that losing Deontay Williams at the beginning of the season changed the complexion of how they wanted to run that defensive back room. He said that Deontay's come back with an attitude, uh, that he's gotten faster and he was already fast. He's gotten stronger and he was already strong. And without saying it, hinted that they're pretty excited about the return of a guy that they think can be a very big defensive playmaker. You know something about Deontay? We did that most indispensable Huskers list last offseason. I think we had him two. I think he was like two or three. He was really He was high. in the top five, I'm pretty sure. And for a guy who hadn't played a ton yet. Yeah. Um, and I still feel But good. when he did, he made plays. Yeah, I feel good about where he had him. But he talked to me about that, or he reached out to me. Deontay did? Yeah, he wanted to be number one. <laughs> That's how he is, so. He's that kind of, I, I mean, I like it. Yeah. He's just, he's like, I get it. You guys got to put Adrian number one. Fine. I, I think I could be number one. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. So, I love it. But yeah, like Fisher said, he knows he reads his press clipping. Yeah. So he didn't want to say much more than that. I was just looking at the uh, 2019 class, Super Six. I was just kind of curious to see where everybody had Miles Farmer. Uh, you had him as your sleeper or my, in your Super Six? He was my sleeper. Uh, BC actually had him at number four. Look at wow. that. Wow. You know why that was? I base a lot sometimes off just a interview. The the Frost press conference. No, I called him once, oh. and he we were doing a feature on him before he signed, and he just had this like edge about him that I was like, man, that guy isn't. He's just gonna come here and mean business. He like totally convinced me in a fifteen minute interview. You, you could just hear the future star in his voice. Yeah, and you and we heard that. You know, he was a diamond in the rough from people. So that was part of it. But, yeah, it was all that combination. I did his commitment interview when you were in – no, when we were at your house watching the Vikings lose to the Bears. Oh, yeah, Sunday that was a rough – that was rough. It was all that weekend. <laughs> uh, in case you guys were wondering. Um, we were. Super 6 is holding up okay so far for 2019. 2019 is going to be a it huge better. for the future it, it of that program. It needs to. Um, some of ours are holding up better than others. Is this a shot at me? Nope. Me? Nope. Felt just like a shot others. I'm just I'm clapping myself on the back here. I got I got some guys that are gonna. Who are your six? Go. Let's give it. Well, Wandale was number one. Okay. Okay. Paul Gates, who is still TBD, uh, number two. Ty Robinson, Nick Henrik, 
Ben Hart, and Darian Chase, unfortunately, and uh, Farmer is my sleeper. So yeah, I'm just trying to bat 500 on those things now with the way it's been late. Lately. It's rough. You go through and uh, well, I mean, my number one was Jackson Hanna, and I can't say that I'm excited for him that they're talking position change, but then that he maybe didn't even switch. And was working with the inside at the... the yeah, he's, li- he's listed for those who haven't read anything about it yet. He's right. listed as an outside backer, but hasn't been playing it yet, from what I gathered on yeah. Monday. That's that's what I, I picked up as well. So, a mm. uh, little, little concerned about where that one might head. Mm. But, just to go back to the secondary really quick, I think that this is a unit that Travis Fisher is extremely excited about, whether it's Quentin Newsom who is going to be fighting Braxton Clark and DiCaprio Boodle and Cam Taylor at cornerback, whether it's the new guys and he's excited about what he's seen from Jaden and from uh, from Lynham so far, whether it's the old guys. I mean, DiCaprio Boodle is going to have a role somewhere on that defense, but I couldn't sit here and tell you today whether I think it's going to be as a cornerback or as a safety or as some sort of hybrid. And I feel the same way about Cam Taylor Britt. I mean, I think Fisher's mostly excited because he's got a deep group and he plans to rotate the hell out of them. Like you're going to see a lot of guys playing in the secondary this year for Nebraska, which is what he wants most of the time, anyways. Should we hit special teams real quick? Oh yeah, yeah we I should. Uh, it we, didn't come up for either quarterbacks or defensive backs. So okay, so Adrian Martinez special teams. Is it that seems that way. Okay. Adrian not involved on special. Maybe it's just because of the shoulder right now. It could be. He's going to be the gunner. <laughs> <laughs> Good see it. Uh, BC, you want to round it up for us? Okay. Uh, well, Jonathan Rutledge, who's Coach Rutt, they call him, mm-hmm. um, special teams analyst. Or in a rut. <laughs> Every, like that. Well, hopefully not, right? Well, I mean, they have been. Oh, yeah, they are. Right. Um, all the coaches are going to be involved in it. Um, basically, Scott Frost's idea was I didn't want my outside – this is – me saying Scott speaking as Scott Frost. I didn't want my outside backers coach to have to also take on all four special teams like they were doing. Although it should be noted last year, Javon DeWitt had help. I mean, it wasn't like it was all him. Zach Crespo, he had an analyst and all, all this stuff. But he didn't want his outside backers coach or any position coach to have to handle all special teams too. So his idea was let's bring in an analyst who basically behind this the scenes draws it all up and um that's his job just fully planning this is how we're going to attack it in practice this is what we want to do in games this is the personnel they are limited though because he's not a full-time coach by how much he can technically be on the field um and so because of that he's got to work with the position coaches and they each have an assignment that they're going to take on within special teams that's not that weird. Bo Pelini's staff and other staffs we've covered have had staffs where everybody, like, you know, handled, like, uh, punt blocking or, you know, like the, the the punt block unit or whatever, and they each divided it up. It's kind of like the sub. Yeah, it is, where Jeff Jamrog was. He was pulling the strings. Yeah. Uh, from the side. Yeah. Uh, I mean – Maybe there's a little wink-wink with all this stuff. But uh, it sounds like they're they're really excited about Jonathan Rutledge, who he has got that SEC experience. 
Um, and at Auburn, they were an aggressive group. He wasn't the guy who technically ran the whole thing um, as a, by title. But you wonder if he did. You know, maybe Auburn just had a guy who, I don't know for sure, but it's possible that Frost did his research here and Auburn had a guy who's listed as a special teams coordinator. But Jonathan Rutledge maybe was doing most of it, you know. So I'm sure they looked into that. And, and they were an aggressive group that blocked seven kicks one year had a good punting game, and, and they were very good in return game uh, last year specifically. It's just kind of like weekend at Bernie's. You just got a guy pulling the strings, somebody on the <laughs> sideline that's actually the coach, and just, you know, <laughs> waving their arms like I'm currently doing. Yeah. We're describing the stuff we're doing today. Yeah. Got anything else? I don't have anything else, at least on special teams. Should we talk Nebraska basketball real quick since there is a football tie-in? Yeah. And they do play tonight? Okay. Yeah. Go for it. Mercilessly, or mercifully, maybe the last game of the season. I'm hoping for that to be the case. But it would be a hell of a story if they won. It would be only because they're going up against Archie Miller and a very bad Indiana team that has no business being in the NCAA tournament. Brent Banks goes for like 10 and 8. I don't think Brent Banks is going to play more than two minutes, if so, that. So let, let's set up, set the scene real quick, I guess. Uh, Noah Vedral and Brent Banks are traveling with Nebraska basketball to Indianapolis for the Big Ten tournament as emergency-type players. Nebraska has seven available guys, uh, so they needed two more. It's a little bit like Connie Yori's first season at Nebraska where they right. had, what, eight available and, and pulled two from the sororities, basically, yeah. to, to help them out. Um, so... We'll see what they do. They're, uh, the line opened at 12.5. I saw it was already up to 13.5 yesterday after the announcement of uh, Vedral and Banks. But uh, And it looks like... Uh, well, so they, they actually gave Indiana more points when Vedral and Banks were announced. Uh, it, it climbed, the, it was, the line went up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did it just draw attention to the fact, like, man, they're scrambling? Is that it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a – I mean, it, my mentions on Twitter were like, oh, my God, I can't believe what they're doing. It's like, well, it, like you're not going to run Brant Banks out there to start. Like he's not going to be out there for the opening. They're only tip. out there in the event of injury and, and right. fouls. There, right. there was an overreaction to it. Yeah. It's yeah. a fun story. In this market? No. It's a fun no, little it was, story. It, you know who it was? It was Minnesota and Iowa fans that were, like, losing their crap about it. Yeah. I mean, Anyways. they've Nebraska basketball's done this before. Um, Wilson Thomas, Thomas played. Uh, Matt Davison played basketball when they were short on numbers. Um, I think it was that I remember Matt Davison getting into a game at Missouri, and he was playing in the middle of it, you know, in the heart of the Big Twelve season, basically. So, um, this has happened before. I guess the news attached with it is some suspensions and potential yeah, Deshaun Burke is Deshaun Burke sounds like he's got one foot out the door Gonzo. um working on graduating which would suggest perhaps a graduate transfer to me uh, is that fair did he do a thing where he broke up with did, a preemptive breakup where Nebraska was not going to allow him on the trip anyway but he announced like hey I'm going to focus on school and not be at this game I'm going to break up with you before you break up with me he did um <laughs> he he Bread. Um, let's see. That would have been Monday, and they decided that that was in his best interest to focus on okay graduation. So they they talked. Um, Cam Max back at home dealing with some personal issues. 
uh, the real season starts next week. It does. Uh, when the meetings start. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, there's going to be attrition. There's going to be... There could be a fair amount of attrition, um, and, and this roster is going to look totally different uh, again. But uh, you know, it's you know, Banks and Vedral are a reason to watch tonight. We'll see how uh, how that goes. Well, and their Nebraska basketball is just weird enough that sometimes they're gonna. I don't even want to pay attention, and suddenly it's like a five point game with seven minutes left. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's weirder things have maybe happened. Uh, them going on any kind of uh, yeah. I, I get the impression that Fred's just kind of ready to <laughs> pack it in on this season and move on. He told Scott, "Like I just need to borrow these two guys for one pra- one of your practices. Yeah, your non padded practices. Let's not make a big deal He's about like, that, folks." Noah Brant, get get on the plane. You don't need to pack more than two pairs of underwear. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see if next year's mercenaries and transfers change a little bit versus what this was. I think having actual talent will help Hoiberg and the the offense out tremendously. Better mercenaries. Better mercenaries, absolutely. All right, any closing thoughts? No. No. Brunt says no. He says it's time to go. I hope I talked loud enough. BC's Were you monitoring me? We we tried. My mic was having some issues, so I apologize Uh for those. But it's it's a damn clown show with this board. All right. Well, this damn clown show is going to be back (laughs) to your ears. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.